0: Hey, do you all make keys? While we all honestly just want to blurt out, no, you dumbass, making keys is pretty much essential to our jobs. Whether it's following the paths of the ancient Smiths to making mathematical calculations or syncing technology with brass. I'm Tim Coleman, and along with the man who can change any light bulb without a ladder, Tyler J. Thomas, And the man who can also insert a USB cable on the first try, Jeff Moss. We are the Three Tumblers. To quote one of my favorite childhood movies, let's start at the very beginning. When it comes to keys. The ancient Egyptians can be documented as the first producers. They had very crude locks, and the keys were little more than carved sticks that had several points cut to different lengths. Users had to insert the key and then lift it up and pull to unlock the mechanism. Very crude by today's standards, but almost magical back then. Fast forward to modern locksmithing, and think of the antique key market It's small but important somehow when I started at the shop that I'm at now, I got dubbed as the antique key guy. In other words, somebody would bring in an old uh, mortise lock that took a bit or barrel key and it got handed to me because the very first one that came in, I was able to make a key for it. Um, I don't really enjoy it, But it is kind of satisfying because it takes us back, you know, 100, 200 years almost uh, for making keys. And it is a very niche market. Uh, Lots of people have older furniture locks that they want to keep the original hardware in. And uh, they lose keys over the years. So when when it comes to that is more of an art than it is a science. Like we'll talk about later, Uh, but you really do. Like I explained to customers, you really do have to go back and uh, recreate what locksmiths of a hundred or 150 years ago had to do in order to make keys for locks. Um, Jeff, do you get many uh, jobs for antique keys or bit barrel keys uh, in your shop?
1: Yeah, I mean, not like every day, but maybe once a week or once every other week. You know, some basic, you know, small like desk drawers. Uh, Most of the mortise locks fit with like the standard 2B or the 7B key. So it's not really much to fabricate on those, but yeah.
0: Tyler, have you ever had to recreate a key make a key from scratch for a
2: bit and barrel antique lock a long time ago, but I, yeah, no, I, I'm not good at that. Rarely if ever do it. Sorry. <laughs> no, not a problem. Cause I'm not nearly as good as
0: uh, the folks in my shop thought I was at it. <laughs> a lot of times I have to, uh, I have to ask my boss and, and say, Hey, can you help me out with this? If the customer can bring the lock in, uh, to the shop. That's what I normally 99% of the time tell them to do is I say, hey, bring the lock in so I can see and I can have time to try to uh, fit different blanks and see which one actually works with your locks and then also see if they're key to like. Because a lot of times when you find old furniture cabinets, you know, or or old furniture pieces, uh, those locks are keyed differently. I I don't know if that's across the board, but that's just what I've found is that every single lock has a different key, and it's, it's kind of a pain in the ass. But you know, when they bring it in, I can evaluate it and say, okay, this is what it's going to cost you per lock to make a key for all of them. Sometimes they say, sure, go ahead. And other times they're like, nah, we'll, we'll deal with not having a key for it. And I think it's, is really kind of, kind of cool how we've adapted things like barrel keys, which just to, uh, Just to clarify for terminology, a barrel key is where the center of a rounded key shaft is hollowed out so that fits over a post inside the lock. Uh, A modern equivalent of that is like the, uh, the ace tubular keys where you have an 1137 key blank. Tyler, do you do anything
2: with tubular keys? Yeah, yeah, well, quite often, and uh, we've got one of the original uh, frame and uh, tubular uh, originators that can do all kinds—offset, left, right, center, eight—if we wanted to. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm really good with tubular, uh, so I've I've done a lot of that. Love tubular, actually. Yeah, we have a uh,
0: uh, what is it—the Soka Crown T10 machine—and I love that thing. And I wish that we had a smaller and much lighter tubular machine because I would I would put it in my truck if we did have it uh, because that T ten machine weighs like you know fifty seven metric tons.
1: And I hate cutting tubular keys because our Scotsman is old and beat to shit. And one of my coworkers kept saying that he was going to bring in he had one at home, and that was like a year ago. So if I'm sure with the right machine it's a lot easier but they i always have trouble with ours.
0: All right, Jeff, I'll uh, I'll make a video of our T10 machine so you can see how it works and then you can show that to your boss and hopefully they'll buy one. I mean, they're expensive and they're heavy as shit like I was saying, but they're really really easy to use and you know, a lot of times too you can use like an HPC tubular pick on a lock and then Lock the uh, lock the actual uh, what are they called the little metal flanges?
1: Yeah, I don't. Yeah, the, the, yeah, I yeah.
0: Don't The picks, I guess you could say the tumblers, um, the the tumblers, the tumbler picks. Um, you can lock those down and then use the the uh, gauge and decode it. Well, yeah, and that's then, how
1: we do. It. We just look at the key and or look at what we picked and then yeah. figure out the cuts.
0: Well, the T10 machine lets you duplicate like directly, uh-huh. or you can originate, and it's all in the same. Machine. Yeah, same
1: with the the Scotsman. It's just it's like a lathe that goes around the key. It's just got a single blade that goes around. You know, you turn the you move the key from space to space, but there's like no tip gauge, so it's very hard to get it in the right position.
0: Oh, gotcha. So, yeah, yeah. The... But I'd like
1: to. I'm curious to see the one that you guys have.
0: Yeah, the T10 does have a tip gauge, so you basically so just in, slide it in there, tighten it down, you know, lock it down to that position, and then you can rotate it. Uh, I'll I'll do a video. Yeah,
1: You know, um, and you haven't mentioned Salto all day today, so you must be sponsored by Silka T10. <laughs> um,
0: as far as I know, Salto does not have any tubular or antique bit barrel keyways. Uh, but but they do have trim for the XS4 that can accept any mortise cylinder. So I don't know. Is there a mortise cylinder that would take a tubular key?
1: I have some old ones somewhere.
2: Yeah, that it used to be pretty popular, actually. Really? Yep. Okay, the, cool. Tubular was really the um, the, the first inca- yeah first incarnation of high security, if you want to call it that. Gotcha. That they could be picked with a ballpoint pen, according well, to some people.
1: Everybody was using fountain pens back then. Yeah. So. yeah.
0: Fountain pen, ballpoint. Yeah. Same thing. Um, so, yeah. I mean, it's really, really cool to me to look back in history and see what was, you know, like five, 6,000 years ago and kind of how we've evolved from them. because. I mean, even in the Middle Ages, there were versions of bit and barrel keys, and we still see them today as locksmiths. So making those keys is pretty cool when you can do it. Y'all have anything else that you want to add uh, to antique keys and how to make them?
1: Just charge accordingly.
0: Yes, charge accordingly, for sure, because... The blanks are not cheap. Uh, your cost is going to be like 10 to $15 a blank. And it's going to take you maybe an hour sometimes to make it. So yes, definitely charge accordingly. All right. While I'm waiting for someone to ask me to make a key to the Book of the Dead, Tyler is going to take us into the next era of making keys where numbers and actual math is involved
2: do you know where max comes from and why it exists if you do then great if not it has to do with the math and geometry there is a finite amount of brass in a key blank And as we all know, once you take off too much brass, it's very difficult to put it back on. So, why can't you have a zero next to a nine with a Schlage key? And why do best scores always have to equal 23? Well, like I said in the intro, it's all about math. Um, I guess when any manufacturer starts off uh, making a new keyway or a cylinder platform or line, they, they start with the math and determine what the end goals are. are you trying to get the most available combinations for larger master key systems. Are you taking into account what's there before a good example of that? I would say is, is Yale's 25,000. Um, one of their most popular key bidding specifications, but it's, it's neat in that it's one of the very few where a manufacturer allows you to change the included angle, basically the angle of the cutting wheel to produce higher max. So it can start at 110 degrees and you get a max of four, or you can shrink that angle down to 86 degrees and you get a max of six. So you could technically do that with anybody. And I've seen people, uh, I think we've talked about it previously, where somebody applies a, a quick set, key bidding specification to a Schlage blank or vice versa. I can't remember what mm-hmm. it was, but you, you can get pretty creative. Of course, you're going to violate the key bidding specification and what the manufacturer says, but you can get creative and, and play around with some stuff to get and accomplish goals that otherwise wouldn't be possible. Uh, I don't like to do that. You know, I've said it a million times. I'm a stickler for rules. The other thing too, as far as uh pin stacks, pin Heights, um, some are more stringent than others. Uh, going back to Yale, for example, they've got eight possible pin depths on the 25,000th key bidding specification, but they've only got three different top pins. So you can have a range. Uh, Medeco, for example, uh, does have specific top pins for various plug totals, uh, but it's not all the same. You want to all get the same sizes. It's a, it's a range. Best with A2, A3, A4 has a definite number. A2's examples, 23, so every pin stack has to equal 23. Corbin Russ, when Sargent for theirs, for their interchangeable core formats, they don't have that stringent. Every stack's the same way. So it's all up to the manufacturer and what they deem necessary for their products and what they envision and design for. So that's kind of the 50,000-foot the view of it. Tim, you got anything to add? Actually, I've got a question, Tyler. If if it didn't
0: affect your key bidding, could you have a stack in a best A2 core that equaled 22 and it still worked?
2: Yeah. Yeah. It, it'll it'll work just fine. And people will do 24 as well. Two ways or two reasons they do that. Number one, they don't have the right pins. Number two, they're trying to screw with somebody that might be decoding it. Because the easiest way to decode a a interchangeable core for best no matter if it's a2 a3 a4 is just to um, measure the coded length of the top pin and then subtract it from a number a2's example is 13 um, so if you just want to screw with somebody and don't want them touching your systems i mean you'll eventually figure out what it's going to be but it's just going to take longer
0: that's pretty cool like i know with uh what is it sergeant see, it's and correct me if i'm wrong it's 18 18 20 20 18 18 15 15. 15, 15 and 18, no, 15, 15, 20. 15
1: and 20,
0: 15 and 20. Okay. And that's because of the design of the Sergeant Corps, uh, with the control lug mm. and,
2: you know, I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I don't know why they did that, but, uh, like I said, they figured something out or, you know, maybe it escapes me, but, uh, when they're designing the system, uh, They had it figured all out now. I mean, they they've redone it, too. So I guess they didn't think it through enough. Now, sergeant for the interchangeable cores, they have hollow drivers. They used to not have that because now uh, I guess they had too many examples of crushed springs and core failure. So they give a little bit more room with those hollow drivers for those springs to fit into. That's interesting. Hefe, you have anything to add?
1: Not specifically uh what we use the hpc 15 master keying cards a lot um it works pretty well so you don't have to have a separate pin kit in the field and it would make decoding it a little bit more difficult uh, but you're used you're still using standard cutters it's not like these other people that took a sergeant cutter and quick set depths and a schlage card
2: <laughs> yeah you know and kind of going back I just thought about this um, ITLs and other machines that kind of cut everything with just one wheel they're able to accomplish that if you ever watch one cutting uh, because the included angle or the, the degree of the wheel is very narrow and so it can cut anything even the smallest included angles and to get to the larger ones it just goes left or right a little bit more to widen that cut out so that's how they're able to uh, cut everything with just one wheel
0: that's how our um l k p machines do yeah. and unfortunately the uh l k p machines kind of took a shit on us recently on a big sergeant reeking job but um but yeah I mean it's interesting to see where that wheel starts out you know is it more left or right of center and you know kind of the the angle that it goes down um you know it, I thought when I first learned about Max and how that works, you know, you can see that, especially if you use a punch for doing key blanks. You know, you go all the way down to nine and then you do a zero, for instance, on a Schlage key. And it's like, um, you know, the the point on that key is just so narrow. And by kind of by default, by by geometry, that point's gonna be lower and you're going to be out of spec. So you can't really do a, a nine and a zero next to each other just because of how it comes out of the punch.
2: There's a, have y'all ever seen that book, the encyclopedia of high security locks that Graham Pulford put out probably 20 years ago.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't.
2: Oh, I'll, I'll show you. I've got a copy. Um, It's, it's, I don't know, three, 400 pages of every possible high security lock ever out there. But, one of his opening chapters, he's talking about the math behind um, determining max. And yeah, you could observe it. You had to figure it out. But there's actually a mathematical formula that uses like cosines and tangents and things like that. And uh, yeah, you, you can so you can just input some basic data, included angles, stuff like that and uh, come out with what your max will be in a whole number. Actually, it's not a whole number. It's, it's usually decimals to the thousandths of an inch. But uh, you round up or down that's pretty neat. There's, and uh, I guess the last thing I'll say is that the best A2 is the best key bidding specification ever because it's a uh, two- step and there are no max. I mean technically your max is nine so you can have a zero and a nine next to each other in the same system so you don't lose anything when generating a master key system. quality that's quality baby. Up next, we are already living in the future. computers and keys unite. Jeff is going to talk about something completely out of mind in Tim's wheelhouse when it comes to automotive keys.
1: Back in the first days of automobiles, folks just had a crank handle on the front bumper of their car. A couple of years later, manufacturers decided that we should have individual key blocks on their cars. But in the 50s briggs and stratton made the leap and said there should be no more than two keys per car that standard has held true to this day what briggs and stratton never imagined though was the advent of computers and digital keys so obviously there's a difference between duplicating a car key uh, and originating one and typically with a, a pin tumbler lock you can Disassemble it. You don't need a code usually. And it's pretty simple to transcribe the inning of the cylinder to the physical E. Uh, it is not nearly as easy to do that uh, in automotive because, A, the codes are not out there for security purposes. You either need to have a dealer or Nastiff or various types of software to go from the VIN to the code or you just tear everything apart and figure out the cuts yourself. We don't do that kind of automotive work. Generally speaking, uh, if somebody brings in cylinders from an old vehicle, we we will do them, but we do not go out and make keys for cars from scratch. Um, and then once you have the mechanical part, you got to do the, all the programming, erasing what's in the computer, programming, uh, you know, so no, no found keys would work. And then, um, programming in however many new keys the customer wants. So there's a lot. It's a big learning curve. There's a lot of equipment that's involved, code machines, actual programmers, having all the different blanks and stuff on hand at all times. Uh, If you're going to do automotive, it's something that you should be in 100%, in my opinion. And I I know that neither of you really do that kind of stuff either. So any thoughts or are you pretty much on the same page?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think if you do automotive, then you really should be all in. That's one reason why I don't have any interest in it. Uh, But from what I do know, like if you were to, like you were saying, Jeff, if, for instance, you were to take a, a quick set smart key cylinder and you put a quick set blank in there, you can sort of look at the sliders and visually decode what it is and just kind of progress it down until you you make a key that's one way to do it uh but with say honda keys you can't put a blank into the cylinder without it being cut i mean right you the the blank physically won't go in unless if it is cut down so you really do have to look for codes and you know, other, other means of deciphering what the cuts are. And it's just pretty, I mean, it is is pretty cool to me. I, I don't have any interest in it, but it's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. I mean, the high security automotive stuff is just, it'd be a really, just a real pain. I try not to do it. Jason doesn't do Hondas. Um, I mean, I do think that transponders are good as far as, you know, anti-theft, modes and not being able to just turn your key with this turn your car with a screwdriver i think that's very important um people don't like the prices but it's uh a lot cheaper than having to replace your whole car you know when somebody opens it with a butter knife so i think that it's uh one of those things that uh you got to deal with it you know either the car is easy to steal and the The keys are cheap or the car is hard to steal and the keys are going to cost you, you know, a hundred bucks. So we deal with it every day. Usually people suck it up. And now the one thing that we don't really do is any of the electronic, like Cyberlock, any of those types of keys or Medico Click or anything like that. We do a lot of card access, but I don't really consider that to be a key. Tyler, I know you've had some customers that had it.
2: Yeah, the uh, Cyberlock and Click, and um, uh, well, I've said it before; they're they're not quite there yet with the technology, but they're getting closer. We had we had an opportunity to bid years ago on about seven hundred Click padlocks for a utilities company in town, and we we just said no, we're not interested. Another company ended up getting it, and uh, from what the guy tells me, it's just been headaches ever since. And it was just like, well, we kind of told y'all or said, you know, we didn't want to touch it for that reason. So, is what it is.
1: Yeah, I don't know too many places that, you know, that have actually used it for a long time. You know, it's it's one of those things that is out there, but you don't really see much of it, and don't hear very many success stories.
0: We actually, um, we actually do a lot of NSP work for a uh, locksmith for a national chain. And they sold uh, Medico XT to this chain. And so the XT has the the digital key, which I believe, uh, and y'all correct me if I'm wrong, that's basically Cyberlock that Medico bought, or was that a different technology they bought? No, you're right. Okay, so I mean, is is a completely digital key uh, with electronic contacts, but then you physically rotate the key in order to actuate the cylinder inside the lock. Uh, and and we get service calls for things. Others like drop down gates uh, because a lot of these places are storefront. Uh, but you know, it, it it just seems to me like it's such a pain in the ass because just based on the work that we do for these people i can't imagine what all work they they sub out um you know and then also when a cylinder goes bad like a job i did for them a couple weeks ago it was the only thing showing is that it was the cylinder that was bad uh you know, you have to go through and process and mail out a new cylinder, mail it to the store, then get a uh, a local contractor to go and and swap it out and all that stuff. Um, just kind of seems like Tyler said it's not there yet. But I will also add a funny automotive story. Uh, my boss's work van—it's an older Chevy—and uh, the security system in it, the onboard computer security system has been giving him a hard time lately uh he's got an aftermarket remote start and alarm package and i don't know if that was part of it or if it was the ignition cylinder or not but anyway he had our automotive tech uh basically tear it apart and make it work because he couldn't start his van for a week and a half and she took his ignition cylinder out removed everything from it and jammed it around and they jerry-rigged it and now there is no key required at all you don't even have to put a blank into the ignition you just grab the ears on the ignition switch and turn it and i looked at jason i said you better keep that beast locked up
1: that's crazy definitely not good
0: yeah Not the greatest, but you know what? It works and it's got an external alarm that goes off. So, eh, it is what it is.
1: This needs a couple wires hooked up to it to electrify the uh, handle or something when somebody touches it. I think that we've ground down and cut out a lot about making keys today. And if you've listened to us this far through, we should make it worth your while and give you a few spare parts.
0: All right. If y'all promise not to tell my boss about wasting more than two barrel key blanks, I'll promise that we can give y'all some spare parts. Those barrel key blanks, 1137s, are
1: expensive. Ace keys are not that expensive. You must not be buying them properly.
0: They they are expensive. Our cost. I don't
1: know. We sell them for like $5.50 for a copy.
0: Then tell me where the hell y'all are ordering well, them.
1: We would buy them by the case from. We have a lot of them. Okay.
2: Tyler, what's your spare part today? Uh, as you guys have seen, I got a, a lock that my buddy made, Timothy uh, Digby, digs. I'm going to take some pictures in a bit and send them to Jeff, and he can put them on the Twitter account, but this thing is a work of art.
0: Jeff.
1: I got a haircut today, and Tim asked which one.
2: That's
0: definitely a spare part. All right. So my spare part is uh, animal-related as normal please y'all who are on twitter go check out cats with no hope it's an account on twitter that i retweet post from uh she's a very sweet woman tammy and she is rescuing kitties in turkey and has rescued cats in syria takes care of a lot of special needs cats so give her a, a follow a like and a retweet and if you got a couple extra bucks send them her way she's really good people i really hope that the four listeners we have got something out of this if you have any questions comments or hate mail for us please write them on the back of a 20 dollars bill and email it to the three tumblers pod at gmail.com or tag us on twitter at the number three tumblers pod our executive producer is tyler j thomas the technical producer is jeff moss and i am the writer and editor tim coleman our Elvis impersonator is Amal Shookup. Jeff's underwear designer is Lucy Lastic. And our chief legal counsel is Hugh Lewis Dewey of Dewey, Cheatham and Howe, otherwise known to the bums on East Moorhead and Charlotte as Huey, Louie, Dewey.
1: Have a happy Easter.
0: It's going to rain. Thanks for listening. This has been a three tumblers production season one copyright 2023. All rights reserved. Find this episode and others wherever you get your podcasts. Hey. Mm. <laughs> Believe or real.